Rough year for your favorite NFL team? Join me, Danny Heifetz, along with Danny Kelly, Ben Solak, and Craig Krolbeck on the Ringer NFL Draft Show, where we talk about all things NFL Draft, and more importantly, how to fix your mediocre team. Check out the Ringer NFL Draft Show every Tuesday and Thursday. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. It is Wednesday, March 29th. It's probably not going to surprise you when I say that visual effects has been one of the fastest growing areas of the entertainment industry over the past two decades. Used to be that a big budget summer movie employed computer generated imagery or CGI. Now, some estimates are that 90% of films released in theaters employ at least a little CGI and tons of TV shows too. That's translated into nearly 600 different VFX studios or houses as they're known around the world. Names like Weta, ILM, Digital Domain, different companies working on different aspects of these projects. But if you talk to people who work on visual effects, they're often pretty pissed off. Unrealistic deadlines, awful work hours, low pay, something called, pardon my French, pixel fucking, where a VFX house will get an onerous direction from a filmmaker who doesn't know what they're talking about. One watchdog group has said there's three times the amount of VFX work right now for the workers assigned to do it. And one name always comes up when we're talking about visual effects overload, Marvel. It's the 800-pound gorilla of effects because it releases so many movies and shows that are dependent on them. 13 different houses worked on Avengers Endgame, for instance. And Marvel is kind of notorious in this world. According to Vulture, Marvel, thanks to its leverage, pays about 20% less than other studios and hires one person for work that other studios would have hired five for. Push back and you might get blacklisted. And some say that overload has led to corners being cut, specifically on the recent Ant-Man 3, which fans and critics criticize for blurry and cheap-looking effects. Even some who worked on the film have admitted that shortcuts were taken to meet the very, very strict deadline. The executive in charge of VFX for Marvel, Victoria Alonso, was recently fired from the company after 17 years. And while Marvel's owner, Disney, said the termination was because she breached her contract by doing press for a movie she produced for another studio... A lot of people wondered that wasn't a pretense for what was going on with the effects work at Marvel. There's a lot to parse in this world, so I invited Chris Lee on the show to discuss. He's a senior reporter at New York Magazine and Vulture, and he's written a lot about the VFX industry and this unfolding situation at Marvel. So today, why does some CGI look so bad these days and the business of VFX work? From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Chris Lee from New York Magazine and Vulture. Welcome. What's up? So we are going to talk about something that is both an industry story, an inside Hollywood story, and also something that I think if you are a fan of comic book movies in particular, but all movies 
in general, you probably have noticed over the past few years. And that's the CGI, the visual effects on some of these movies kind of sucks. It's not great. It's uh, going, you know, there's a wide disparity between certain movies. You have your avatars and you have other movies like, let's just say it, Ant-Man 3 that just came out that doesn't have great looking visuals. And people might look at that and say like, what? Like, they, first of all, they may not even notice. They may just be like, oh, I don't like this. It's not very good. But if you're an astute viewer, you probably do notice. And there was a lot of press attention around the visuals in Ant-Man 3. And it really raised a big issue or big, it, it was a red flag for a lot of people in the industry about some of the behind the scenes things that go on and the timetables that these visual effects are on. And you've done some great reporting on this subject. So tell us in a nutshell, why were the visual effects in Ant-Man 3 so shitty? Well, Marvel, Marvel has a systemic reputation for um, overworking and underpaying its VFX workers. They, they will hire um, one-fifth of the workers necessary to do any given pro, you know, project, according to my uh, sources. So, you know, on a project that, that that would normally require 10 VFX pros, they'll nickel and dime uh, and you know, just, just out of sheer cheapness, according to my sources. Why? And, and hire two people. Marvel's the most profitable film endeavor in the history of Hollywood. Why would they do that? I, you know, I wish I had an answer for that. You know, one person I talked to, you know, the, the headline of my story was "I equate it to, to human greed." Um, ju- you know, just just so the the balance sheet can look all that much more impressive. To, to give a bit of you know, like exposition about how this works, um, for any given effects scene, um, Marvel outsources to outside vendors. So, you know, let's say it's the climactic battle scene in, in um, the first Black Panther. They'll, they'll send it out to all the VFX houses, not just the big ones like Digital Domain and Weta and ILM, but, you know, MPC, Spin VFX, Pixamondo, third floor, and say, you know, how much, you know, what, what bid can you offer to make this, this scene for? And all of them bid against one another, and they're artificially diminishing how much they want to co- you know, charge for that scene because Marvel is in charge of such a vast pipeline of content with all their TV shows and movies. So they're trying to make it artificially cheap to get that business so that they can keep in the Marvel business. And then, you know, because the money is so low, they can't afford to pay these workers who are on weekly contracts um, very much money to do the work. So th- these people end up working 64 hours a week, 80 hours a week for months on ends, you know, six, seven days a week. And the, the rate of burnout is very high. And you know, bec- because they, they are doing this so systematically, they're burning through you know, like legions of VFX workers. And uh, you know, in a nutshell, as a result, the, the overall look of Marvel VFX is going down. It's fascinating you say that because it makes sense. Marvel is the 800-pound gorilla of the visual effects industry because it has the most projects. It has four, 250, $300 million movies a year. It does TV shows that all require extensive visual effects. It is the biggest player in the space. So using that leverage, they feel they can bid people down. And if you say no, or if you don't deliver what they want, they just won't use you. And if you are a visual effects company trying to be competitive in the industry, not having any Marvel business is probably a problem. Yeah, I mean, you really hit the nail on the head. What I'm hearing is that there's a lot of, you know, if if anybody dares to push back against Marvel, 
they're put on a blacklist. And that can extend, you know, from individual workers to entire, you know, VFX houses. There, there's one in particular that I'm, I'm thinking of that I can't name that, that pushed back on the demands of Marvel. They said, we can't deliver what you want on the timetable that you want and for the price that you want. And Marvel said, okay. And they promptly never worked with this company again. So there's, you know, they're squeezed off from a, a, a lot of work and they're losing presumably a lot of money for, for being put on that blacklist. Well, the check on this, obviously, is the product itself. And you can get away with that if you're Marvel, if the ultimate product that comes out of this process looks great and satisfies the audience. And for many, many years, Marvel, as I said, has been the number one box office draw and the biggest player in film and arguably in streaming with the Marvel shows. So that's not an incentive to change your ways. But now... We had this situation on Ant-Man 3 where the audience is giving them feedback. The critics are giving them feedback. And people in the industry are speaking out to outlets like yours saying, you can't keep doing this. You can't put these people on impossible timelines and pay them nothing and you know, try to keep the level of visual effects at the standard that the audience wants. So there's going to be change, right? Absolutely. I mean, okay, so so Ant-Man 3 got the lowest Rotten Tomato score. I, I think it tied with Eternals for the lowest Rotten Tomato score in MCU history. And if you lead up to that, you know, look at the um, evaluation of, you know, computer-generated imagery on movies like Shang-Chi, Eternals, um, and, and even Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. People were not looking favorably, either critics or fans. They're, they're saying the VFX on those movies look like shit. And, you know, my sources are telling me that it's because of Marvel's employment practices. They're just burning out their um, employees with their unreasonable demands. And I mean, you know, th this speaks to a larger problem within the VFX industry, which is attempting to unionize right now, that there are not enough workers and there's more VFX shots required across the board um, than ever before, I think something like 90% of all movies involve some sort of VFX shots. And, and, you know, in Marvel in particular, you know, whole swaths of the movie are created entirely digitally. I, you know, a character like She-Hulk is an entirely virtual character. So, you know, if you're going to manage your business this way, it's to your own detriment to not, to not pay your workers a little bit more. And it, you know, it, it just, it, everyone I talk to is completely bewildered by the fact that Marvel is the most successful studio division in town. And yet the, the cheapest and they're you know they're driving this to the bottom in in trying to nickel and dime their vendors in this way it's hilarious jim cameron my favorite quote machine uh has a lot to say about marvel uh, he did an interview when avatar came out and he was talking about the different visual effects houses and he's like yeah wet effects it's the best right i mean ilm does great work but when it comes to the kind of emotive facial stuff that we're doing i mean thanos come on Give me a break. <laughs> you saw this new Avatar movie. It's not even close. And I feel like Cameron's right. Like he sort of market corrected the visual effects industry because we've sort of been on this long, slow decline over the past decade and what the standards are. And it's getting cheaper to do this because of the pressures that they are putting on the industry and some of the technique and the technological advances. But then Cameron's movie comes along and it just blows everyone out of the water. I mean, I was looking at the trailer for Little Mermaid that's coming out this summer. Like, fine. It looks okay, the underwater stuff. Aquaman looked fine underwater. 
it's nothing like the Avatar movies. Now, he took 15 years and spent $400 million to do that. And I know that that's not sustainable when you're doing four movies a year, but it does kind of market correct what the audience expects. And that's a problem for Marvel. Okay, but, uh, you know, in your comparison of, you know, let's just say Avatar 2 to, to Shang-Chi, in comparing James Cameron to Daniel Destin Cretton, you're not comparing apples to apples because, you know, James Cameron has infinite amounts of, you know, computer-generated imagery experience, whereas right. Marvel systemically, you know, they, they harvest directors from the Sundance Film Festival, somebody who's directed some cheapo movie that got a lot of buzz, that has a lot of heart, that, you know, a lot of originality, and then they suddenly prop them up with a nine-figure budget for the first time. These people, by and large, do not have any experience with visual effects and uh, yeah, with VFX rather. And, you know, I'm talking about Taika Waititi. I'm talking about sure. Chloe Zhao, Ryan Coogler. Fleck and Bowden, like all these filmmakers that they bring into the MCU, they do so knowing that they are not technical wizards. Yeah. And I mean, you know, around the time of Victoria Alonso's dismissal, I was DMing with uh, a, a, an extremely well-known director who had, who had worked on a Marvel film, and she was relating some remarks that Victoria had said to her about another filmmaker who directed uh, you know, one of the biggest, let's just say it was one of the biggest movies Marvel has ever put out. And she, she was talking about this guy, and she said, they don't direct the movies, we direct the movies, meaning the, the filmmakers we hire don't have creative control over the look of the films that Marvel does. And that, you know, that's always, yeah, I, I was stopped in my tracks, like finally hearing that because I'd heard rumor of this for a very long time. I haven't even put that on the story yet, Matt. Um, uh, big, the town exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> must credit, must credit. I, I wish I wish I could tell you who said that and yeah. the, the director he was talking about, but um, I thought it was very very indicative of Marvel's outlook is that they decentralized creative control so much that you know they they think that they're such a hit factory and it has worked for so long. You know why challenge that business model? But it's not working as well as it used to, given the the number of films you know, that need to employ the same small pool of workers in Hollywood these days. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% .9 pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Accenture Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. So let's talk about Victoria Alonso because you mentioned her and she is in the news. If you haven't been following this, she was the head of, she was the president of post-production and visual effects and animation. She'd been in Marvel for 17 years, had positioned herself as kind of a co-founder of Marvel Studios as we know it. There's the, the trio of her and Kevin Feige and Despacito who have been there from the beginning. Uh, she was not the creative engine. She was the person who was 
the physical production person. She would get the movies made. And because of that, she was in charge of the visual effects budgets and the peop- the the visual effects houses that worked on these movies. She's been in the news a lot the past couple of weeks because she was fired from Marvel. She uh, There's been a lot of statements going back and forth. The reporting is basically that she was producing another movie at Amazon and Marvel found out about that late in the process and told her that she could continue to put her name on that movie, but she wasn't allowed to do any press for that movie. She ended up doing press for that movie. And the stated reason for terminating her was that she violated her contract by doing press for this other movie that she wasn't really supposed to be producing in the first place. Now, the undercurrent of all of this is what we've been talking about. She is the executive in charge of visual effects for Marvel. She has presided over a pretty objective degradation of the quality of the product that Marvel has put on the screen. And from what I've talked to and people at the studio, they were kind of looking for a reason to either fire her or get her back on track. And this is the stuff that you are talking about. What was Victoria's reputation in the VFX industry? Well, I mean, ultimately, all the problems that we're talking about, you know, with VFX and Marvel films these days, the buck stops with her. But I mean, you know, also, as you touched on, she uh, she's had this untrammeled um, track record of success with, you know, billion dollar movie after billion dollar movie. So um, I think it cuts both ways. But within the VFX industry, she had a bifurcated reputation. On the one hand, she was a kingmaker. If you did the things that she wanted you to do, if you could, bring, you know, if you were in a position of some seniority and, and working for one of these vendors and could bring these projects in around budget and on time, she would enhance your career. And you know, even though the dollar amounts weren't that great uh, working for for Marvel films, there was a lot of cool points within the VFX industries. You know, you you could do the same work on you know de-aging Robert De Niro and The Irishman, but if you you know de-aged Samuel Jackson as Nick Fury in in uh, Captain America, um, you know, you're going to get much more cool points within the industry. So um, so she enhanced a lot of careers. She really you know she kept people steadily employed. If you were in Victoria's Good Books, if you weren't she maintained the blacklist that I've heard unofficially existed. I, I, nobody I talked to saw an actual list, but time and again, people were telling me a blacklist exists. And, and, and Victoria was the, the person who was the custodian of that. And um, if, you, if you were pushing back against her demands, or if you complained, or if you just you know, straight up didn't deliver, you were on Marvel's shit list and you weren't going to work for that company anymore. And yeah, that was to your company's financial detriment. And, you know, a lot of people just burned out of the industry as, as a direct result of her management style. It's funny because you could make the argument that this is just effective management, that if you are in charge of managing a budget for Marvel's VFX and the level of product has so increased the volume of product that you're trying to do as much as you can for as little as possible, that this is what she should have been doing. She puts the stuff out for bids. People come in with what they say they can do for a price, and she chooses what she believes in her professional capabilities is the best bid. But that's not how it was perceived within the industry because there are people at other studios that also do this job and they have not been as notorious as her. So what is it about how she was managing this budget and the way that she was comporting herself with these vendors beyond just 
selecting and being this kingmaker, as you see, that caused people to be so upset with her? Okay, th that's a great question, Matt. So, um, I mean, I heard from one source, so take that with the asterisk that you will, that she insisted on personally reviewing every VFX shot for every show and every movie, which is absolutely staggering when you think about the amount of content that, that Marvel is putting out in a given year. But uh, you know, I think that the, the you know the, at the crux of her predicament these days, like, you know, the thing that directly led to her dismissal is that she was extremely you know hard charging. She was extremely demanding at, at a time when the the quality of computer generated imagery was perceived as going down, and also the the industry is attempting to unionize. So what what I had several sources tell me is that Victoria was personally very hostile towards organized labor efforts within Marvel, um, you know, as, as the VFX industry attempts to unionize. So, I mean, VFX, like, it's staggering that it's, it has, it has uh, a, a union that's part of IATSE, but the membership is so scant that it has no real collective bargaining power. Yeah, let's get into that a little. So, like, th there have been efforts over the years to make this union bigger and get more people to join, Correct. Correct. And why, so, but your reporting is that that effort has picked up steam in recent years. Is it just because the overall move towards unionization is more prevalent these days? Or is it something specific about what's going on with these deadlines and these companies exerting more power? I mean, from what I'm told, there's a real collective inferiority complex within the you know, visual effects community that they don't realize how few of them they are or how important they are in, in you know, the pipeline of making these movies. Um, you know, something crucial happened last year, which is that um, 440 animators among a lot of big shows, you know, uh, like uh, Rick and Morty, American Dad, banded together and formed an animators union and forced collective bargaining so that they could have power to, you know, to to have benefits, to have time off, to have, uh, you know, a, a wage, um, to have, you know, career longevity rather than work within the gig economy that the, the VFX workers still find themselves in. So, but Victoria, like, you know, to answer, to double back to your original question, um, Vic, Vic, you know, Victoria found out about a survey that VFX workers had put out asking, like, how much money they were making studio by studio um, and, you know, their, their working conditions and long-term sustainability. Marvel fared very poorly in this survey. And when it got back to her and other top you know, Marvel executives, she was apoplectic. And she went on what was essentially a witch hunt looking to root out who was, you know, looking to collectively organize uh, and share this information. And then, you know, from what I'm told, menaced these workers to say, you cannot share this information. The, the, the workers realized that that is actually illegal to say that, that they can't share their their employment information. So it was they like put, salary info and work time and all that, right? Correct, correct. And I mean, some of these workers at the bottom of the food chain are, are barely making minimum wage for the work that they do. So, you know, Victoria's reputation was really cemented as somebody who was not only demanding, and, and also, I mean, as a side note, I didn't even get into the fact that Marvel habitually rips up the third act of their move, movies, uh, you know, a, a month or two before they come out, you know, creating all sorts of additional stresses on the already, you know, overworked and underpaid workers. But so, you know, her, her reputation is really burnished by being anti-organized labor. That really cemented it that, that, you know, she did not have individual workers best interest. And this is contrary to the image that Disney puts forward. And, you know, Marvel 
fans. Well, Disney, don't... let's be honest, Disney has a long history of being anti-union, <laughs> going all the way back to Walt. But you know, people walked out on Snow White and the Seven Dwarves and things like that. But I get what you're saying. It's certainly not the look that they want. And Kevin Feige at Marvel positions himself as this man of the people and voice of the fan. And if you were thinking twice about the awful work conditions of the person that's making it possible for Iron Man to leap over a building, that's not what you want if you're running Marvel. That's right. Um, and I mean, you know, I mean, I, I tweeted out when Victoria got the axe, you know, just some anecdotes from my stories that she's a mm -hmm. kingmaker, that she's singularly responsible for the toxic work culture at Marvel. And people are saying, oh, she was made a scapegoat. And I think what's one thing that is notable here is that, you know, I got a call from one of Victoria's uh, attorneys on Friday, as, as you may have. And th this person was at pains to make clear that you know Victoria is being made a scapegoat, that she was never told to stop these management practices that, that were so destructive to, to the rank and file of VFX workers. So in other words, yeah, this is a top-down thing, like that she's being encouraged, that she's doing a good job to be this cheap and to be this inhumane towards people in the VFX industry. So that you know that 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 leads one to to believe, you know, to 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 believe that you know Kevin Feige was encouraging her to to you know continue her management practices this way. That's fair and all of this stems from the volume question. And she's not the one saying we need four movies a year and we need three TV shows a year. That's coming from the very top of Disney. I mean there's that infamous investor day where Bob Chapek, the former CEO, got up there and said, "We're doing three Marvel shows a year on Disney Plus." And we're not slowing down on the number of movies that are coming to theaters. So when you put that pipeline in motion, something's got to give. And you either expand those budgets or you bring in more workers. I mean, that's, that's ultimately one of the bigger problems here is that there just aren't enough workers in this area of the business to keep up with demand. Because we're only talking about one of the studios. There are many other studios that are you know, not as heavily, but pretty heavily invested in the VFX industry, not to mention the fact that viewers increasingly expect these kinds of effects on their TV shows. So if you're watching Wednesday, you want the hand to walk down the street and there's got to be an, <laughs> you know, a team to do that. So it's a booming industry with workers that have not necessarily caught up to it. Exactly. And um, I mean, yeah, but Marvel is known as the biggest bully within the industry just right. because of this volume that we've talked about. And maybe if they unionize, they would pay them better and they would have more people that want to do this. Exactly. I mean, you know, and, you know, the, the, these Marvel chooses its release dates so far in advance, you know, more than a year in advance, these deadlines are totally immovable. So, you know, what, what I was told is that, you know, the, the, the two things need to happen. The, the workers need to unionize and Marvel needs to do a better job of also preparing its directors, the, you, know, you know, for working with visual effects. To, to sit them down and say, okay, you, you know, even though you don't know how to pre-visualize these things, you, you need to have a you know, some clear, creative clarity about what you're going to be doing in a given scene. Because I'm, you know, hearing about you know workers who get screenplay pages that just say, you know, Spider-Man faces an enemy, and then they have to, you know, make up, you know, the, the imagery out of whole cloth rather than having the director or even the, the script fill in what they're supposed to be doing. So where does this play out? How does this play out? Do we see a change at Marvel? They're going to obviously either put someone else in that role or absorb the duties elsewhere. Uh, the unionization push, is that real? Is that going to happen? 
Is are we going to actually see any change here? Okay, I think you're in a better position to answer, you know, mm-hmm. like, about the executive shuffle than than I am. I mean, she's going to be replaced. Victoria Alonso is going to be replaced either by one person or by multiple people. I think it'll be multiple people, I, and I and I think that they will not have that situation anymore where one person is lording over an entire segment of the industry like that. Um, I don't know whether they will put the oversight over to Alan Bergman, who runs Disney and all the film units, or whether they will divvy up that those duties internally. Uh, but I don't, I think they'll want to avoid that situation again. I mean, the optics have been terrible for them. So, you know, if Victoria was their sacrificial victim, um, you know, they can start over and get somebody who's ostensibly more, you know, friendly to, to creatives. Um, but when it comes to unionization, I think that that has a real strong chance of gathering steam. You know, I, I think, you know, one side effect of all the, the negative press that Marvel has been getting is there's been a lot of attention on this unionization push. And I think, you know, across Hollywood, um, there's a growing consciousness that like, there's actually a growing disbelief that, 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 that you know, these people are not unionized. Well, and the studios would argue that that's only going to push up the cost of these movies even more and make them more prohibitive to do anything except the Marvel movies. Well, I mean, Marvel can afford it. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) They can. I mean, I know that they're challenged right now in many different ways and cost is out of control. They think at some of these, on some of these films, but uh, that's the reason that people go to these movies. They go to see stars and stories, but also things they've never seen before. And that's the visual effects world. All right, Chris, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Matt. All right, we are back with the call sheet. Craig, are you familiar with this Netflix show called The Night Agent? No, I am not. It's hard to keep up with new <laughs> Netflix shows. Uh, it is a crime show from Sean Ryan, who did SWAT and The Shield. Okay. He's a very prolific showrunner, uh, unknown cast or not famous. And it was just renewed by Netflix for season two a week after it dropped. Now, it was the number one show on Netflix by their own metrics last week, but that is a pretty quick renewal for Netflix. They typically like to see how the data plays out for 28 days to see whether it will last as a hit mm-hmm. or whether that's, you know. But I believe that with the looming writer's strike or the possibility of the writer's strike coming as of the end of April or early May, that they are trying to renew stuff quickly. And my prediction is that we're going to see a lot more of this stuff in the next six weeks. People trying to get stuff greenlit and into production or finish the writer's room or pick up the script or pass. All this stuff is going to come to a head in the next few weeks because everyone expects the writers to go on strike in early May. Well, it would have to be very soon then, right? Because if the strike is in early May, that's giving the writers a month, essentially, to write a new season of a show. Yeah, that is a pretty quick timeline. And I think that uh, something like this, a cop show, they're obviously going to need more time than this would allow. But perhaps they could get maybe a few episodes or something where they could do a little shooting during it. I talked to some people today who were saying that they just want, this is on the movie side, they just want scripts to be in good enough shape where they can start production this summer. Because remember, it's the writers on strike. And at least for now, the actors, directors, post-production, all these other people are not going on strike as well. So 
as long as the script's done, you can get something in production. And I think that's what the rush is going to be about for the next few weeks. All right, that's the show for today. I want to thank my guest, Chris Lee. I want to thank producer Craig Holbeck. And I want to thank you. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.